Well, hello and welcome to the CSF June monthly podcast. Now, this month, three papers have been uploaded to the CSF website, but today I'm only going to review two of those. Uh, and you can find the detailed slides set for these papers on the CSF website. And I hope you'll find them useful. As usual, they're of really high quality. So the first paper I want to highlight is a paper that evaluates the safety and efficacy of uparacitinib uh, monotherapy versus methotrexate in people with rheumatoid arthritis who've had a previous inadequate response to methotrexate. So this is the SELECT monotherapy study, and it's authored by Joseph Smolin colleagues from Vienna. Now, the key background here, of course, uh, therapies that can be used without concomitant methotrexate have an important place in the management of rheumatoid arthritis. People with uh, rheumatoid may or may not tolerate methotrexate particularly well, and we need to have options for such patients. Now, the JAK1 selective inhibitor, upadacitinib, has shown efficacy in combination with conventional synthetic DMARDs in conventional synthetic DMARD and biologic DMARD inadequate responders. Now, this particular study assessed the safety and efficacy of the once-daily extended release of padacitinib given as monotherapy versus continuing methotrexate in patients who were methotrexate inadequate responders. Um, now, patients were excluded if they had previous exposure to biologic DMARDs or JAK inhibitors or a history of inflammatory joint disease other than rheumatoid. And patients are randomly assigned 2 to 2, 1 to 1 to either 15 or 30 milligrams of padacitinib or continue blinded methotrexate for 14 weeks, then switched to 15 or 30 milligrams of paracetamol per a pre-specified randomization protocol. Uh, primary outputs, uh, outcomes, well, percentage of patients achieving an ACR20 and DAS28CRP less than or equal to 3.2 by week 14. And secondary endpoints were varied and at week 14 included changes from baseline and DAS28CRP the HAC Disability Index and SF36 Physical Component Score and Morning Stiffness Duration along with ACR50 and 70 responses and the DAS28CRP less than 2.6. That's the proportion of patients achieving the latter. Cochrane-Mantle-Heisel test was utilized for pairwise comparisons between paracetamol 15 and 30 milligrams versus the continued methotrexate arms. And patients uh, that completed week 14 of the study were eligible to remain in an ongoing blinded extension period for up to five years. Now, the key results, a higher proportion of patients receiving upadacitinib doses versus continued methotrexate uh, achieved the primary endpoints, ACR20, DAS28, CRP less than 3.2 at week 14. And ACR50 and 70 and improvements in DAS28 CRP from week 2 onwards and the DAS28 CRP less than 2.6, DAS28 CRP less than 3.2, the CDI and SDI low disease activity or remission metrics. Now the adverse events uh, reported were similar between patients and continued methotrexate and upadacitinib and uh, potentially dose-related adverse events included herpes zoster, which were all reported as mild to moderate in severity. So the SELECT monotherapy trial shows that methotrexate inadequate responders could be moved on to paracetamol monotherapy with improvements in clinical signs and symptoms, physical functions and quality of life measures, compared with just continuing on methotrexate. Although both paracetamol doses were associated with significant improvements, there were numerically higher responses observed in the 30 milligram compared with 15 milligram dose groups through to the end of at least week 14. 
We probably need more studies to determine if the safety and efficacy of aparacetinib are affected by these different doses in terms of the, the, the number needed to treat as against the number needed to harm. And the observed safety reports are consistent with things we've previously seen with aparacetinib and indeed with the wider JAK uh, inhibitor family. Uh, and with the, the, the risk-benefit profile that's emerging, it looks like aparacetinib monotherapy could be considered as a treatment option for patients approval allowing who are intolerant to methotrexate or to those who prefer treatment without the need for concomitant conventional synthetic DMARDs. Now, the second paper I want to talk about examined an association between JAK inhibitor therapeutics and cardiovascular events in adult people with rheumatoid arthritis. It comes from Wenhui Chi from the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology in Peking University First Hostel, and that's in Beijing in China. Now, this is a very interesting dilemma. Patients with rheumatoid arthritis have elevated risk of cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, MACE, the uh, outcomes of, of myocardial infarction, stroke, and potentially cardiovascular death. And the, the dilemma, of course, is that only some of that risk seems to be explained by so-called traditional cardiovascular risk factors. Uh, reaching remission or low disease activity in order to reduce cardiovascular events is really advocated by many uh, practitioners and are highlighted in the ULAR recommendations for the management of cardiovascular risk in people with inflammatory arthritis. Now, the role of JAK inhibitors in the modulation of cardiovascular events is undetermined, and this was a study that set out to explore the associations between JAK inhibitor therapeutics and cardiovascular events in adults with rheumatoid arthritis. There's an added nuance here, and that is that the JAK inhibitors so far have been shown to quite significantly alter the levels of lipids in people with rheumatoid arthritis. And so it's it's a little uncertain for us what the, the impact of that elevated lipid parameter might be, clearly changes in the traditional risk factors. So this is a systematic search of PubMed, Embase, and the Cochrane Library databases performed from inception through 13th October 2018. Uh, the overall number of cardiovascular events during the randomization control phase was extracted for patients who received at least uh, one dose of study medication or placebo. Uh, primary and secondary outcomes were relationships between JAK inhibitors and all cardiovascular events, MACE or venous thromboembolism. Now, two kinds of comparisons were made for both primary and secondary outcomes, all or individual JAK versus placebo, and also comparisons of different doses. So for tofacitinib, 5 versus 10 milligrams, baricitinib, 2 versus 4 milligrams, and upadacitinib, 15 versus 30 milligrams. Uh, odds ratio and 95% confidence intervals were calculated using the mantle Heinzel fixed effect method. So what did they find? Well, the comparisons of JAK inhibitors against placebo indicated no statistically significant differences in cardiovascular events. Uh, the odds ratio was 1.04. Now, for JAK inhibitors considered separately, the statistical differences for all cardiovascular events remained undetectable for tofacitinib, baricitinib, uparacitinib, pefcitinib, uh, and the, the, likewise, there was no statistically significant difference for uh, JAK inhibitor treatment overall for MACE, odds ratio there 0.8, or venous thromboembolism, odds ratio 1.16 compared with placebo. There's no dose-dependent impact of tofacitinib and uparacitinib on the risk of cardiovascular events, MACE and venous thromboembolism observed. However, baricitinib, 4 milligrams, seemed to be associated with a higher occurrence of cardiovascular events compared to the 2 milligram dose. 
Now, this is a meta-analysis. It at face value indicates neither individual nor all JAK inhibitors uh, association with uh, cardiovascular outcomes in adults with rheumatoid arthritis, but it's a short-term perspective. We need to think a little more about the potential of the impact of the higher versus lower dose of baricitinib. And the real crux of this discussion is going to be in post-marketing data. They're going to be absolutely essential to ascertain cardiovascular safety, especially at the higher doses of JAK inhibitors due to the increased risk of thromboembolic events for tofacitinib and baricitinib that have been highlighted elsewhere. We also need to look carefully at registry data. And this whole area, I would urge caution. We just need to keep a very close eye on what is happening. This is a, a complex dynamic between therapeutic benefit in terms of the inflammatory disease management, but also probably as yet improperly understood mechanisms that might drive either cardiovascular or thromboembolic toxicity. So definitely something that we should be aware of and watch this space. Now, the third paper we uploaded to the website this month is from uh, Philip Heiselmeyer and colleagues from Merck, uh, Darmstadt, Germany. They evaluated evobrutinib in preclinical models of rheumatoid and, and lupus. This is a, a, a BTK inhibitor. BTK is a kinase that sits downstream of the B-cell receptor and FC receptors and has some interest in the area of therapeutics in both rheumatoid and lupus. Uh, so that's a, a little bit of an interesting side story to go and have a look at, and we can expect to see clinical data coming through soon in that area. Now, please don't forget that all of the content discussed in this podcast is available in more detailed slide format in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. And please do subscribe to our podcast channel and let us know what you think by reviewing our products and um, podcasts. And especially thank you for listening. We really appreciate your time. I hope that these thoughts are useful to you in driving your clinical practice and looking after people with rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases. Thank you very much indeed.